Hey, another another Friday night uh, with the, the weekly review of Sanctuary First. Great to have you with us tonight. And we have got some really interesting stuff to talk about this evening. Uh, we're sorry that Laura's not with us tonight, but do you know what? I think our mum and dad are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So hey. a big shout out to uh, Laura's parents. Um, have a... Have a great one on us. <laughs> <laughs> Various beverages reach the sky. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, Mark, we're delighted that um, Scott Shackleton, who is one of, our, one of our, our congregation of Sanctuary First, and he's a director of the Naval Service Ethics Programme, at short notice has replaced another Scott, Scott Harmon, who has been the writer this week, but Scott is unable to join us. And... Uh, I think Scott that should always be our policy, don't you think, Albert? If someone can't come, just look up their name and find. <laughs> I think it was just Scott Shackleton grew the short straw today because yeah. we were having a conversation this morning. And the name Scott just leapt to mind. Yeah, Albert, Albert had my number. <laughs> you were there, ready in the call yeah. list. <laughs> so it's great yeah. to have Scott with us tonight again, and looking forward to because Scott's going to be writing for us the week uh, of Remembrance Week as mm, well. So very soon. It's great to have you uh, in with us tonight, and, and we welcome back uh, uh, Ian Jimison, who's been away for a couple of weeks, uh, and great to have you back again, Ian. Whoop whoop. Super, the, the, the pub just wasn't wasn't the same. I had to come back. <laughs> <laughs> They kicked you out, Ian. They kicked you out. I was hanging on by the, 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 the literally my fingernails. And then Nicola said no. Thought, what am I going to do with my Friday nights? I thought, sanctuary first, that's what to do. <laughs> and it's great to have James Cuthcart with us as usual to keep us uh, uh, on the right track, moving us back and forward. And the, I'll try. The, I'll try. Yeah. Great song. Listen, tonight we're going to be talking more about, uh, following on from last week, we were talking about leadership. Remember with Peter Nielsen, uh, and Peter sent me a lovely email just to say that there was so much that uh, we hadn't discussed that we need to think more about it. And uh, I'm hoping to catch up with that email with you, Peter. I didn't reply yet, but I will promise uh, I'll get back on that again. But this week we're going to be thinking about legacy. And the legacy that uh, we, we all leave in some ways in our lives. What kind of legacy are we leaving? Because we all lead in different ways. And S Scott Harmon has been getting us to think this week about the leadership that's not just about, a, you know, the, 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 you might say those who are in official leadership, but mm. we all lead by the way we live and the way we, we operate and we, we lead into things and we lead out of things. So there's that. And then, of course, it's a... Halloween tomorrow, and it's a, we're thinking about um, All Saints and then All Souls, I think, in a couple of days after that. So it's about those who have gone before us. What have they left that's inspired us? And how do we keep their memory alive? And who, so this whole area of relationships um, before death, after death, and into eternity. And we're still talking about Moses, and that's nearly, what, maybe, what, three and a half thousand years ago, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> still having an influence on the world. Yeah. Yeah. He, he appeared in Science first, didn't he? 
I think he did, yes. <laughs> he's, he's made he was one of our early it. writers, I think. He's, <laughs> he's made quite a few appearances in Sanctuary First. Does. Yeah. <laughs> he's talked I think he does about. evening prayer, does he not? <laughs> <laughs> evening prayers. Up. No, no, that's, that's Shuttleworth. <laughs> I'm sure it was Moses, but no. Oh, well, maybe it was. Maybe it was, yes. Some people think that Moses, that Shuttleworth thinks he's Moses. The distinction is a bit blurred, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, uh, before we get into the topic tonight, um, just uh, update Ian. Where are we with the COVID in Scotland and how, where, where, are, we, where, are, we, where are we heading? Uh, we, we, well, you know, I'd... I I I feel like I'm like the the prophet of doom sometimes here, you know. I got kind of optimistic a couple of weeks ago, you know, maybe a month or two ago, but uh, I'm a bit less optimistic right now. Um, the curve is going way in the wrong direction. That's that's the first thing. It is going way in the wrong direction, um, and with rapidity that, unfortunately, I think we some of us had predicted uh, from the first wave. Uh, we can see the country move into the second wave. In fact, we can see it around Europe. Um, we can see it around the world, um, other than the Asian countries, that the, the, the curve is just going up into wave number two. The problem has been that um, we kind of, well, when I say we took the eye off the ball, we didn't take the eye off the ball. But what we did was we started to deploy back into old roles and old ways of thinking um, in the NHS. And you can see that in the in the popular press about my specialty and family practice, but also in terms of what the hospitals were doing and not doing. Forgetting, of course, that at the, the back end of all of this stuff is um, hospitals can be, can be a dangerous place to be. Um, and general practices can be a dangerous place to be in the middle of a pandemic because of course we've never had a pandemic like this before um and um you know we kind of we let ourselves slip back into after the first wave was over we thought well you know that it wasn't as terrible as we thought so we started to we, you could see around the different specialities the kind of entrenchment of ideas and you know the, the kind of resiling from the, the this spirit of this is an emergency and we all have to deal with it and of course things trickle back in and in our local hospitals in the area i work i don't need to publicize where that is but in the area that i work uh, the hospitals began to fill up again um, back up to 80 85 percent capacity and of course if you get a big second wave on top of that then you're in real trouble mm. Uh, because there are only so many ICU beds, there are only so many ventilators. Um, so although we may have the technology to treat people, the truth is that we only have a set number of doctors. You can't knit GPs, you can't knit ITU consultants or A&E consultants uh, or any of these guys. They, they just don't appear from nowhere. Um, so you've got an already tired, stressed out workforce who kind of thought they'd thought they would go back to what they were doing and the government insisted they did and of course the the second wave is beginning to rise up again um, and you add this to the biggest mass vaccination campaign of a generation um, and you just think well it's all this you know I, I can see why why it's necessary and I support the government and what they're doing um, but it's a big ask it's a big ask in a stressed population um, of doctors and nurses, and it's a very big ask on a stressed population of people out there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can see the cracks show in my own workplace. 
I can see the, you know, the little steam escaping from the pipeworks, but I see it in the patient population as well. There's a lot of mental health issues related to this coming from. And we now have the problem of what's called long COVID. Uh, long COVID is where people have the infection uh, and they have symptoms for months and months and better months thereafter. Um, and it doesn't take a genius to work out that at population level, uh, this is not um, a pressure that the NHS needed on it at this time and moving on into the future. So I, I wish I could be more optimistic. Um, what I will be optimistic in saying is that this is going to come to an end. Yeah, it will come this to an end at some point. This, this time next year, um, we're going to look back on it and see that, you know, by that time we should have a, a workable vaccine uh, and we should have organised ourselves into what's what the NHS can do uh, versus what we would like it to do. And we'll be, we will have an NHS that can do what it can do as opposed to maybe what the politicians would like it to do. Well, listen, thank you for that. Ten minutes at the top of the show tonight, giving us from the horse's mouth the, the bad news. But also, do you not think, can we maybe, before we tackle our, our topic tonight, eh, I thought we could maybe look at Scott Harmon's writings this week. Because I thought Scott eh, certainly eh, dealt with something of that eh, in, in Responding to your your bad news tonight, Ian. I mean, Scott says, "Don't give up," and he, he tries to take us to a place uh, last Sunday where we were thinking about we we you know we, we we can't give up, but we've got to keep going and yeah. um, and look for look not not to give up because it's going to be messy as leadership, but leaders we need to be able to encourage people. We, we do, and, and what we need to be, I mean, I think, although you're right, you know, I've given you 10 minutes of bad news, but actually good news is, that, as I say, in a year's time, this, this will be in the rear view window. Um, and in five years, we'll all be talking about the two years that we spent during the COVID pandemic. Um, and we will get there. But do you know what we need to do is, I mean, I know what it is to be a leader. Um, but I think we need to be very forgiving of leaders. Uh, I was struck when I watched the Scottish Parliament um, and I watched Nicola Sturgeon and Ruth Davidson and uh, whoever the guy is that does Labour. I don't know who he is these days. But anyway, that guy. Richard Leonard. Richard Leonard, right. Sorry, Richard. My apologies. <laughs> who does Labour? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know that it's one? your turn to go Labour. I don't want to go <laughs> You are. You're going Labour this week, right? It's like when we play at the park and it's like, you're Ronaldo and you're, uh, you're Ronaldinho. Anyway, <laughs> um, do you know, that he's like that guy that never gets picked for the football team at school. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was me. That was me. Oh. That was me. No, that's, that's cruel. But, but hey, what was the point I was making here? I was talking about leadership. No, what I, was, what I saw was... I saw here as a leader, and I was looking at Nicola Sturgeon particularly, and she's trying to lead the country through difficult times, right, by actually being there and being honest about how she felt. You know, do you feel bad about this? Absolutely, I feel bad about this, you know? And she was asked the same question a dozen different ways. And then there were calls for things like, well, let's have a public inquiry and let's do this. And, and it's right and proper to have scrutiny of things, but not when you're dealing with a blooming emergency. Do you know what I mean? Um. <laughs> At the end of the day, if the ship's sinking, 
I would aver that the best thing to do is to head for the lifeboats. Well, Scott, certainly, I think we should ask we should ask the marine about that, but he, he, he will, he will, he will verify that, I no doubt. Let's do that. Let's not talk about, well, how it might have happened and how we could have done things better and how we could have avoided that iceberg. Let's let me do that later. Yeah, yeah. I think, the I, think I think there's a link there, Ian, in terms of what you're saying with what Scott was writing about today. Um, so the post questioning gymnastics. Um, and I was thinking back to, to something Scott said, I believe, uh, at some point during the service. Remember the service, Albert, that you did yeah. last week? Um, and this idea that quite often when we read the Bible, we know who the goodies are, you know, and we know who the protagonists are. And we like to identify with certain people in the Bible and maybe miss some of the messages that are going on there. And I think for um, people today in society, it's easy to kind of always identify with, um, you know, like we know the Pharisees are going to be doing something which is not, not, the, not, not the done thing, not what they're meant to be doing. Um, but actually, are we being Pharisaic sometimes in terms of how we respond to stuff? And are we uh, playing those cards? Um, and I think there's a lot of, I think discredit was the word that he used, Yeah, that's um, right. particularly people. today, you know, this idea of discrediting people. Um, and really, you know, is that, is that how Jesus would behave? Is that, is that a good example um, for us to set? So, um, so yeah, I don't know what, what your guys take on, on the post was today. Yeah, yeah what were you thinking? What, what were you thinking about that, Scott? I, it, it struck me that, um, we're, we're very good at scapegoating now in the West mm. and um, in all walks of life. So, you know, perhaps the extension into politics is no survive because they're merely human beings like us all, but they're in the public eye. And um, it's much easier for us to deflect psychologically attention away from ourselves and our weaknesses by scapegoating, scapegoating the other. And of course, mm. one of the great dangers of religion and it's, it's, it's uh, in some ways Jesus paid the price of religious scapegoating uh, by um, the religious authorities in his time um, and, and therefore we are, it's incumbent on, on the Christian faith to be a faith that, that doesn't scapegoat um, and is very careful about how it apportions blame and that's the reason why in the morning and in the evening we, we make our prayers of confession and ask for forgiveness because we start with ourselves don't we mm -hmm. um, and it's the beginning of wisdom in some ways do you know what i find really encouraging about scott's writing it was yesterday the the the, the his reflection on teammates mm -hmm. yeah i thought that was just so important to yeah. you know making the best of where you are and then becoming a team yeah you know i think that's quite powerful. I think it's that whole dictum of, um, you know, you can think of any situation in two ways. You can look at the downside of it. Um, and it's easy, as I demonstrated at the beginning there, of looking at the, the downside of things, you know, the danger of things. But equally, there are some really good things that begin to bubble up round about the sides. Um, and there are, there are good things in your daily life and things to be thankful for. And, and I love that idea of being thankful for the people around you, thankful for the people that encourage yeah. you, you know, thankful for the people that maybe take time to listen to you or to make you a cup of tea, 
I mean, it might be, it's almost nothing, but it means everything. Uh, for somebody just to make you a cup of tea or actually to turn around and say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the one of the best things. Do you know what? One of the best things about my my patients, and I think it's really brilliant, is that quite often, you know, they'll say, "How are you doing?" And how Isn't are you? That lovely when somebody says that. You know what? They say it to me all the time, and I am humbled and blessed by it every single time. The fact that I think they think I look like a complete wreck. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think about that. <laughs> are you are you okay, doctor? But they 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 do they do it out of the goodness of their their heart. I, I mean, and it and it is <clears throat> it is a lovely thing, uh, you know. And they and and they do have, you know. I, my patients have certainly shown a lot of concern for for my welfare and my wife's mm-hmm. welfare. Joanne, because Joanne works in the practice, um, and they can be quite forthright about it. Um, there was one old lady went down to Joanne's office after having seen me, and she said, "Oh, hen, did you let him get dressed himself this morning?" Kind <laughs> <laughs> of did. She said, he's, "He's sitting out there like a burst couch." I <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate it, <laughs> Scott. What about? Team, team, the teammate, the, the mates, does that kind of resonate with you in, in the Navy? And in the. Yeah, I, I think we, we certainly, the, looking at the ethics uh, of, the, of the overall culture, I mean, we, we, we understand um, that the culture sets the tone <clears throat> for individual performance. And the values and standards that, that we set in the, in the Royal Navy. Which um, we introduced really, for, you know, from day one, about um, f- fundamentally about creating a cohesive team of friends and oppos who put the group before their self-interest and put the mission ahead of any individual mission, um, and and it's really it's really quite profound to see individuals arriving at HMS Raleigh or at Commander Training Centre as individuals, youngsters, and emerging, um, you know, nine weeks later from rally from part one training or 30, the six weeks later at Commander Training Centre as a cohesive group who have a pass out ceremony and their parents have come down from all over the United Kingdom and indeed indeed the world. And um, John Miller, when he was moderator, described it as um, saving people in many cases, saving people's lives and offering them a new life with a, a new opportunities and critically a new set of friends and expanded horizons. Um, often we've only met people that look the same as us and sound the same as us. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you go from being a Glasgow Protestant going to a, you know, a Protestant school in Glasgow um, where you, you know, the cohesion wasn't, wasn't good sometimes to, to suddenly you're, you're living and working with people from South Africa, from the Caribbean, um, uh, and, and, and even England. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> even England. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's vital for us being a, a culture and a community that pulls together and has no prejudice. Um, and, and you actually learn that you learn more from the other than, than you know yourself. 
Mm. In terms of church, that's particularly been important <clears throat> for me uh, to learn from the other denominations and from other faith groups. Yeah, it's, it, we get much to learn from this idea of um, of building. What, what does it mean to build teams and to and to be thankful for the people around us that for what they're doing and to and to be telling them to let people know how much you appreciate what they do for you. It's just yeah. I think that becomes such a a liberating thing. I think, what did you think about? I thought Scott was very very honest. That must have been quite difficult for him. When he spoke this week about the death of his father, mm -hmm. and um, I thought the, the way he wrote that was beautiful. Mm. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that was the um, oh goodness, what 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 was that one called? Goodness, it was twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. He was forty. He had forty nine, and I and I I got twenty one. That's right. Yeah. Um, that that I I find that really very interesting in a kind of you know metaphysical sense you know and um, there there is that sense throughout all of that that things go on if you see what I mean do you know what I mean I felt I felt that as I read that um, uh, because he talks about the the watch uh -huh. I mean and and, and the watch. time wasn't it his father was moving into eternity and he took his father's watch into time. I just felt that, yeah, exactly, exactly that, Albert, in fact. I just found that such a fascinating, you know, glimpse at perhaps what is the real reality as opposed to the the reality that we, we perceive and are trying in our clumsy way to actually understand. I think mm. we're a bit closer to understanding um, what reality really is. Um, but there's that that just just that wonderful sense of, as you say, taking the watch to be with us as we move forward in time. But his dad had gone on to something else. He didn't need a watch anymore. <clears throat> no, you know, he was out of time. Mm. Mm. It was particularly moving um, uh, for me reading the prayer this week uh, because I was 21 when my dad died. Um, very suddenly, um, mm. so it was quite eerie reading it, and and I particularly identified with what Scott said about you know the idea that he was twenty one, not twelve, you know, flipping the the numbers around, and I remember it being a very, I mean, obviously just a horrible feeling and a strange feeling, but also oddly ambiguous in that that kind of sort of cusp of adulthood, if you like, of being twenty one, and and so I'm an adult now, and and it just really felt it bundled up a whole lot of things for me, and I, and I remember feeling, and I said to Scott. Um, that it kind of felt like my life had two phases. You know, you, you were suddenly conscious of I'm in a new chapter or a new section or life won't be the same again. And in that segment about the watch, you know, I remember having my dad's things and um, I have a sister, um, so so we could share that experience. But in terms of some of the, if you like, classically kind of male stuff, you know, some of my dad's stuff, like I've got, you know, some of his coats and, 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 uh, and I actually had his watch and a few things like that. And there was a really strange sort of symbolic sense of what that means now to, and in terms of talking about legacy and stuff tonight, um, to have that sense of what it means now to be continuing when someone else is no longer um, there with you. Um, but the comfort that, um, that we get from knowing that there is more than this. And, um, so this season, I mean, one of the things that <clears throat> we, 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 tend to call in Sanctuary First Drive 
started to talk since we've been doing this sanctuary first um, to talk about the season of remembrance the, the the whole month for me of November is almost like a remembrance month to because you know um, Scott and I were talking a wee bit about this today as we're planning stuff for the next couple of weeks but mm. we start off with um, you know Halloween uh, hallowed the, the day before the holy day when we remember all saints and when we talk about saints in the when we talk about saints within our tradition we're talking about those we've loved and lost a while but but they're it's it's not it's not saints in a stained glass window mm. but it's 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 those who have moved on and, and it's, it's something we're going to be looking at throughout um November as a whole, as you say, this idea of saints. And, and I think it's not something, certainly for me growing up in the kind of Presbyterian tradition, all saints wasn't something that was really talked about a lot. Um, but, but it's this kind of idea, like I think saints, and it, when, anytime it's used in the New Testament, it's in the plural. You know, it's not about uh, individual kind of celebrated kind of heroes or whatever. It's this idea of the holy ones, the hagioi, you know, in Greek. Um, and, and this sense of those who are set apart. And, and I was struck actually to go back to something, Scott, you were saying about the cohesiveness of the people coming together, you know, when you had your trainees and they start coming together. And it's almost like that's just showing us what's real. You know, we really are bonded to one another. And actually when you have these moments where you fuse together with others, and that's obviously one of the most intense ways that you can, you're actually just seeing what is reality. You know, all humans need one another. And yet we're kind of constantly sold this idea that you're an individual and you can do your own thing and, and all the rest of it. But actually we find our meaning in other people. We're meant to be connected to other people. Who we are matters as an individual, but as part of a constellation. Wow, that's absolutely um, true, James, isn't it? You know? And so I think you find, I think it was um, Stanley, Stanley Hauervast, the theologian, he's got some phrase about the idea that something like who I am is the stories that have been told about me or, or some, you know, some kind of metaphor like that. But the idea that actually you know, even as a child, you grow up and people go, oh, you always did this and you always did that. And then, you know, and even just thinking about my dad and stuff getting passed on to me, you know, and as I get older, it's that same, we really only exist because other people have invested time and energy in us. So it's, so it's great when we have opportunities like you were describing, Scott, to actually realize that and to actually acknowledge that we belong to one another and we really matter to one another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> I think Jung, when he was looking at the collective unconscious and what individuation is, is, is quite interesting um, because he's coming at it ob obviously from a scientific viewpoint and from a, from a practitioner's viewpoint as a psychiatrist. Um, but of course, he, he finds the only way he can place the reality of the person he's caring for uh, in any kind of sense is in a greater metaphysical uh, situation where um, I mean what people are talking about now is the particle wave uh, talking about how um, we jump into this reality in space-time and then we return to the particle wave um, which is you know coming up it's only arrived because of, of quantum physics so I mean we, we, I don't think we'll ever get to the, 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 the truth as, as creatures of creation about what reality is beyond um, what the Israelites spoke about, which was the unpronounceable name of God, mm. uh, who we have called by using vowels Yahweh. Um, so it's this sense of the unknowable 
and for Christians being revealed, the, the unknowable is revealed in the person of, of Jesus. So it's, there's a really interesting, I think, theological discussion going on. That's the big reformation for the church. Uh, it's not about buildings and administration. It's about our theology, um, 500 years after the last one. And the church on the whole, theologically, reforms every 500 years. So it's quite fascinating. I mean, the, the, there's a lot to that, what you say, Scott, because, you know, the, the whole the whole thing about, you know, quantum, you know, entanglement and, and uh, you know, how when you look at uh, quantum states, um, they change because they've actually been looked at. And interestingly, there's a recent experiment, it's just kind of come up in the scientific journals where if they even make one, I think it's a proton or maybe a neutron, when it observes another neutron that, or if when it observes something in a quantum state, it also changes. Yeah. Um, and with the advent of quantum computers, um, which is happening, I mean Google and Apple and all of those big, those big names, um, are investing and China particularly, um, are investing millions and millions into who's going to get the first quantum computer. Because at that stage you have computing power a whole, the, the um, oh goodness, the limit that we currently impose on um, how quickly computers work, which is built on silicon and how small you can make it and transistors, etc. The minute you go into a quantum computer, of course, you don't have any limits, um, which is fascinating, really, because you know, then you really are at the stage of what is then the limits of us as an expression of God trying to experience God? Because that might be where we can start <coughs> footprints of God, you know, what, what makes up reality, you know, as, as we know it. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the most just, just fascinating things. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think the, the article I was reading said, you know, what can we ever actually experience reality? And of course, hmm. we don't really experience reality. What we see is what comes in these eyes, which only see in a very narrow spectrum of light. That's all we actually see. Um, I'm not experiencing right now the radio waves passing through this room to hit the modem in this computer to allow me to talk to you. I'm not seeing that or feeling that. But there are some people out there who have enhanced their brains because brains are see brains are incredible right because brains will change right they'll change according to input so if you input a device that vibrates or perceives radio waves you begin to perceive radio waves in your fingers or whatever appendage you want to perceive them in it's absolutely incredible stuff because of <laughs> this is because of a thing called neuroplasticity right and neuroplasticity means that the brain can change now if the brain can change that receiver for whatever our consciousness is right means that it can be expressed in different ways and that's why i think you know nothing is ever you know nothing's ever irredeemable and nothing's ever finished because the brain's never really finished and our consciousness i, I honestly think probably is something out with whatever a receiver is do you know that that's that would mm -hmm. be intention is the, the only thing that means makes any sense to me um so that receiver might die but that doesn't mean the consciousness has died that may mm. well go on 
uh, because it has power. And even back to the very first um, principles of thermodynamics, you know, meaning you know that if you get force, it's got to be transmitted into something different. Well, thoughts have power and force. They create ripples in time space. They have to. Therefore, there must be a motive force behind it. Absolutely fascinating stuff. That I love. This is almost like, you know, this is almost like the, 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 we were talking about this last night in the C.S. Lewis is the, the theory of necessity. The, 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 you know, it's Anselm again, you know, talking about uh, the, the whole, um, the whole, the whole uh, argument for the existence of God, the ontological argument. There has to be unnecessary, you know. We do. There is an absolute somewhere. Uh-huh. It's, it's certainly, it's, I think what it's doing <laughs> theologically is empowering people of faith and belief to speak into the argument against Richard Dawkins, who is a reductionist and a materialist. Um, and I think for too long we've been on the back foot theologically because we've been demythologizing since Boltman, since Boltman rather, and, and it's put us on our back foot. It's, um, I was at a dinner recently um, and um, they, they dish out fines for, for personnel, for fun. And um, I get pinged with one from the top table from the RSM. And it was, we're going to find the Padre because he believes um, Adam and Eve before science. So there, there is a viewpoint out in the world, especially in the West, which is absolutely reductionist, Dawkins, and materialist, and and actually using Newton uh, and Descartes unfairly because they were both men of faith. Um, but it's as if that's become the, the common wisdom of the West, and it's resulted in um, Jonathan Sachs' new book. I don't know if you've read it, Morality. Now we need to read that. Yeah, phenomenal read. But he's looking at why people in the West have become so unhappy. And, and why our mental health statistics have struggled. And he rests at the large part of his argument is about the individualism and the materialism of the West that claims material wealth gives happiness. Whereas he's arguing very strongly from uh, the, the Hebraic uh, viewpoint that it's about community and being seen and being part of a team. Yeah. Mm-hmm which I think instinctively we all know is true, but we find it hard to argue against the Dawkins argument, or we have done. But I think what Ian was saying about quantum discoveries and metaphysics, I think that's, that's rebalancing things about the power of prayer uh, and positive thinking. And um, it's really quite interesting times. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think you're absolutely... You're, you know, you're absolutely right, Scott. I think the thing about Dawkins and his out, though, is that what they do is they set up a straw man to cut him down. I mean, yeah. they set up their parameters for what God should or shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk about God to uh, friends and many, many friends who would have no sense of faith or belief or anything like that, um, you know, their view of what it is they think I believe is quite different from, from what I actually believe. You yeah. know, they are literally worlds apart from yeah. what I actually think um, is 
and and I know, but the thing is, I also know that I can't know it all because I'm basically I exist in meat space, and I can't. I, and I, you know, I have to work at a macro cosmic level. I, I, I can't really affect what is in the micro micro microcosm. You know, the subatomic, the quantum level. Uh, and yet, there's, here's another interesting theory. It's really interesting to wrap your head around. I was reading a book once called Quantum NLP. Now, NLP is a thing called Neuro Linguistic Programming, and you've heard me talk about it before in the podcast. Um, and it's a very interesting way of um, reprogramming this brain that we've got um, into settling down old trauma so that we are more effective functioning human beings, right? That's... NLP in five seconds, right? What the quantum NLP goes on to say is that what we think can actually affect the nature of our reality. Now, this is quite true because if you find yourself, for example, being thankful, being gracious, being humble, um, you know, if you find yourself thinking a certain way, then certain things will happen in your life that reinforce that. Equally, if you find yourself looking on the dark side of everything, then you're going to find that everything looks pretty dark as you kind of move forward. Now, that's not to say that you can't have mental health crises and all sorts of things that happen to you to help perceive things in it, that make you perceive things in a different way. Um, but that's where community <laughs> comes in to help you reorientate how you think. Um, or where God comes in, or where healing comes in, to help you reorientate how you think in a more um, positive way for what it is God intends, if you see what I mean. You know, a lot of Christians talk about what, what God has in store for us, and God never gives you anything more than you can cope with. I think that's true. Um, and I think it, what God has in store for us all is really, really positive. But I think part of that, though, is also born within um, these changes that, w that we kind of make for ourselves in our reality um, through this kind of strange... Mm -hmm. NLP. Now, having said all this, the argument falls down when you look at things like the tsunami. Uh, you know, I refuse to believe that all these people in Asia suddenly thought the sea was going to rise up and engulf them, right? That's patently nonsense. Um, however, it is interesting, though, how many people that, that I deal with and um, in my work who whose mindset is a contributory factor in how their health is. Uh, and, and I was saying earlier on before we came on air, um, you know, how, how much of what I deal with isn't so much physical, but people who are kind of broken at a spiritual, um, almost <clears throat> metaphysical level. And it comes out in illness, which is not to deny illness because I'm kind of good at illnesses. Illness is fine and illness is simple. But a lot of the things that I have to deal with are not, they're not that. They're actually people who are kind of like, a bit broken, you know, their childhood hasn't been that good, you know, or stuff's happened to them as an adult, or they've got unresolved trauma or whatever, and it comes up and it presents to me as backache, or neckache, and it's, yeah. it's not backache at all, do you know what I mean, or the mm -hmm. famous one we have is GPs is tired all the time, do you know what I mean, that can mean anything from you've got a tumour and you've got six weeks to live, to you're very, very unhappy and maybe you need to address that and help me to help you with that. Do you know what I mean? Those mm -hmm. are the spectrum. And, and, the and I suppose that's what you're talking again about the importance of this community being part of a community to help us see reality in 
in, but with it through the eyes of other people to help us get a better picture of who we are and what we are and the kind of people and also the kind of people we we engage with in in, in order that we can get get have some kind of touchdown on reality i mean i, 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 enjoyed, I enjoyed scott's uh, he, he kind of did a a check on us and and brought out texts that were challenging this week about how difficult life can be for people and um how uh, they can feel really unfairly treated by life, um, and and he he obviously cited his father's death at, at far too young an age as as an ex, as a living example, uh, but he used the psalmist quite cleverly, I thought, um, to reflect that anguish and a sense of unfairness that people feel, so that um, you know we, I think he was reminding us we can never be glib about. Mm-hmm. Um, answers which um which come too easily if that uh-huh. makes sense about what reality is and 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 what god is and and how god operates um i think it's just a reminder that that ultimately um life will be challenging it will be challenging and you know his encouragement is to keep going using paul as an example um you know uh, I thought it was really useful. I thought it had a lovely balance through the week uh, with his comment about the good and bad, uh, you know, darkness, light, the, mm. the full gamut of life. Mm-hmm. But I think that speaks to legacy, though. You know, an, an interesting thing, um, kind of exercise that I've been doing with my, with my boys is um, my boys are kind of now leaving home. You know, they're, they're young men now. Um, you know, my, my middle son, he's looking to the military as a career. Um, and uh, he, but he's also, he, and he's doing pharmacy and he wants to kind of do the military pharmacy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my eldest is about to go to sea um, for a year with the Merchant Navy. Mm-hmm. And my youngest is starting off his career as a social worker um, and, and learning to do that, that side of life. Um, but I'd, I've been kind of going for walks with all of them, just really talking to them about their childhood. Because, um, you know, my view of their childhood is different from how they view me in their childhood. Mm. Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, to, you know as, 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 as a father, and I, I know I'm speaking to fathers, I think, um, and it's very interesting to see what your, your children actually think of you. And what they think about what you've done, and and your view of their lives, and their view of how their lives was. I was particularly struck by my son Robbie, and Robbie was talking about. He said, "You know, the thing was, Dad, when we were wee, it was always Mum that was there. Mum was always doing stuff for us, and you were always away." Um, and I remember when, because I did, I had to work really hard because I was the only one working at the time, and doctors, to be honest, in those days did not earn that much money. Um, and anyway, long story short, I, I was away a lot. I was on call a lot um, and doing stuff away from home a lot. These aren't years that I'll ever get back. And it was interesting to see what uh, an effect that had on Robbie when he was a wee boy. Um, and he said, and I remember when he was a wee boy, he hid my mobile phone in case I get called out one weekend. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Because he associated the ring. Aye. Home, my dad has to go, you know, 
really difficult stuff, really difficult conversations. But I said to him, I said, son, but you don't remember all the times that I would sit with you when you were tiny and walk about the house with you to get you to sleep. You don't remember when we would go for runs in the car to go and watch the rabbits because you couldn't sleep and you'd be crying or whatever, or the times where I sat and fed you, or do you know what I mean? All, all of those things, my view of his childhood and his view of his childhood with me uh, were two slightly different things. We agreed on some things. You know, we agreed that I drank too much and I'm not at home very much. <laughs> No, but seriously though, we agreed that I worked very hard, um, and and that that would that was a good common place to start. But it was just interesting, Robbie's view of me, um, and and my view of how our childhood had been, and that speaks to legacy. And I think we're always adding to our legacy as we move on forward through life, and and that is what remains of us once we pass on to something more wonderful you know as c.s lewis says you know um what's that further in and further up or whatever it is he says mm. last battle you know um as we go through and and become you know one with god that's our journey but what we leave behind are these memories uh and and how important are they? and it's a shame that it's taken me to age 52 to think goodness I, w- I wish i'd made better memories and my kids and i've got <laughs> so all i can mm-hmm. do is Make up for it before COVID comes knocking on my door. <laughs> it's so special, Ian, you've, that you've had that time, you know, and that you're emotionally literate and, and capable of, of having those conversations. It, it might be a sweeping generalisation, but I think in the west of Scotland, there's probably not been a huge tradition of dads doing that, you know, with their kids and, and sadly too many going too soon, you know, and I, I live in Glasgow, I grew up in Ayrshire, but I live in Glasgow now and, you know, they talk about the Glasgow effect and, um, there was that study, the, the tears that made the Clyde, was it, you know, and all about this idea of why is there this pain and this kind of sense of the legacy of pain and generational kind of troubles. And and, and I think there has been a, a kind of difficulty with addressing certain things. And I think, you know, even if there is some pain in the in the conversation, that it really is an incredibly valuable thing. Um, uh, and so it's really lovely that you and your sons, you know, have been able to to have that time and, and to have things come around and, you know, to be in the same moment together where you can talk about those things. Yeah, it's like that Mike and the Mechanics in the Living Years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, powerful yeah. song. I think our memories change as well. Um, mm. You know, the, you know the, the memory that perhaps the children have of you when they're 10 to 20 to 30 to 40, um, as they mature and reflect, um, alters and I think also our memory of what was worthwhile perhaps and good memories uh, perhaps changes um, down through the years and of course expectations change because you know in the 1930s and 40s when people didn't have much work and there was a war on um, the expectation of the children on the parents was very different um, perhaps to, as it is now um, and people worked long hours, or you know, and, you know, worked Monday to Friday, eight till five, and got home from the the, the foundry, and then they went to work on a Saturday morning. I know. Um, so you know, just putting the bread in the table was was a major part, perhaps, of fathering. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, things have changed now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. I mean, I th- I think it, but but I think I should say though, it, your your memory does 
change and how, you know how I view my father has changed as I've got older I mean that's you know how I view how I was brought up is way different now from what it was when I was 17 you know when I was 17 I thought I knew everything what's that who's that writer Mark that's... Twain Mark Twain I think it was you know, <clears throat> When I was 21, I'd realised the old man had learned a lot. He learned a lot in four years. You're <laughs> 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 right. I mean, I think our, mem our memories do change, and I think our memories are quite malleable things as well. You know, oh, yeah. I think we remember um, aren't always exactly as they actually were. I remember reading that we, we actually have to replay memories, you know, like we have like the script, if you like, but when you see it in your mind's eye, you're actually, it's a creative act. Even just remembering a basic thing is, is creative. Our brains have such vast memories because they can bring them together. Not, it's not like a library, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and, and we're, we're great, we're great uh, dit tellers. It's called dit telling in the Navy. Right. Uh, what you find is that um, as the years go on, the same dit gets better and better. <laughs> uh, you know, somehow the situation was worse that we conquered. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a kind of acceptance in, in our culture that of dit telling um, and, and exaggeration that's quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably quite key to masculinity in general, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. I had a young guy, a friend I knew growing up, and he was kind of um, quite liked a tall tale and everything himself. But he said that he would just love uh, going to a pub, you know, and finding like the oldest guy there and being like, so, you know, tell me, like, what's going on? Like, what's really happening? Knowing that, like, he was going into a whole world of, like... <laughs> Yeah. craziness but because he just you know he just said that he's like i'm good at talking to old guys i don't know what it is i'm just I'm good at talking to old guys so. i wonder you know in modern society in in the facebook and in you know the in the uh you know the instagram story age um where people put down things almost um in glass you know or, or in granite things that they've done um and yeah. Yeah, I'm just not a great fan of revisiting people's past in the prism of the present um because you know we we think things quite differently now than when i was a wee boy you know things are things are different now than than they were then and uh, so i'm i'm not yeah, I, I think sometimes again it goes back to forgiveness and we we're talking about leadership earlier and i think we need to be forgiving and and you know i, I do think we need to try and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes um but my goodness me i am so glad that they did not have facebook and instagram when i was a teenager and a young adult i'd really i'd particularly at medical school uh, <laughs> you wouldn't be here ian you wouldn't be here. <laughs> i mean my day-to-day -day life choices would have seen me struck off <laughs> No, it is. It's it's strange, isn't it? Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's just very different. And I, and I think and I wonder though if that's going to have an effect on though how we uh, imagine ourselves. You know, it does like a fly. You know, like a flying amber. Does it mean that the opinions we hold when we're seventeen have to be the opinions we hold when we're seventy-seven? Do you know what I mean? Do we need to remain thorough to that mass? Do we need to? Um, you know, believe the things we believed when we were 17? Um, or, you know, how do we give ourselves license to be wrong? Mm -hmm. you know, 
license to, as I say, like with my kids, you know, you're asking for forgiveness and understanding um, about, you know. You know, I think, I think as Christian people, it's about us <clears throat> being open to the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth and understanding our lives as a journey. And, and, and as we experience and as we grow in the Christian life and, and we, we encounter new things and um, it's not, we, we get a new perspective on something, it's maybe not that what we believed 17 years ago was wrong, but we see it now in a complete, from a different perspective, from a different place. And, and, and I think that's one of the things we need to keep in mind that we can, you know, it's, we have a different view. If you take the camera going around, we take different viewpoints. It's the same thing, but you're seeing it in a different way. And um, was it, it says it in scripture, it's, it's the bit I love in the end in Corinthians. Now we see through a dark glass, uh, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see, and then we will know as we are known. But there's some constant things that abide forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So when we're talking about our reality and what is the reality that we can hold on to, what do we need? And it's, it's, it's this faith and hope, but the greatest is love. And of course that, takes us right into the very heart of God, where God said, you know, the scripture talks about God is love and uh, in, in him is no darkness at all. But, but that awareness of God, though, that, that goes back to the whole kind of quantum question of things, isn't it? Because when you plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, for example, you know, or you spend time in prayer waiting for God, um, the, you can almost hear and feel the cogwheels turning round about you, you know, as as God just allows his work to be done, either through you or mm -hmm. in, in somebody else, or sends you somebody along your way that says something that's utterly magical and completely changes your life. And and it's and, and this is the whole thing. You said this to me when I was a, a boy, Albert. You said that, you know, we're only about 10% in control of our lives or 15% in control of our lives. The rest is utter chaos round, round about us. Do you know what I mean? Everything is so random. I, I mean, the person that comes into my surgery with completely indistinguishable symptoms from somebody else that gets me on the day that I'm switched on to a certain thing or I detect something or whatever, and then they come to diagnosis and that, that, that diagnosis ends up saving their life. I mean, you think of the odds of that. It's absolutely astronomical. And yet these miracles happen every single day and not just in my sphere. Do you know, in, in other mm -hmm. sphere as well. Um, you know, the, it, it's such a complex system in which we live and, um, you know, we're only now beginning to even understand the smallest fragment of what it actually is. But I think this is where, the, where God and the Holy Spirit come in. It, because the knowledge of faith and those precepts and those ways of uh, meditating and praying and plugging into that system, that's us connecting with the source, in my humble opinion. And once we're connected with the source, wonderful things can happen, life-changing things can happen. Exactly. I mean, and that's us back to what we were talking about. 
it's funny how we will always come back to this, but with Peter Nielsen last week, we were talking about Julian of Norwich and the thing, you know, from the cross, she, she heard Jesus speak to her from the cross where he said, with God, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. But it's from the place of pain, the cross, it takes us back to what Peter was saying, brought us back to that place again. And here we are back at the same place where we know that even regardless of what's happening, there is a God who says, I hold you in the palm of my hand. I, I know you. And, and the, the words that Jesus tells us, you know, every hair of your head is numbered. You know, the, the, the world is not running out of control. That it, through it all, God is, is in control of things. And although it all seems messed up to us because it's just because our, we don't have the we don't have the perspective that God has. But we don't have the perspective, and this is what I mean about the whole COVID thing. You know, it's all really bad right at the moment. But do you know what? In five years' time, we're going to look back in all this and say, "Remember those years that this happened," and there'll be something else that we'll be dealing with. Do you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. we are not we we are necessarily creatures of the moment. And we have to live, you know, we're biologically predetermined to do certain things. We just have to do them. Um, we're, we're predators. We, we, we are, I mean, Scott, you must, I mean, and the Royal Navy, I mean, part of what, what uh, makes us effective people is to have situational awareness of yeah. what's happening about us. That's key. You know, that slight movement in the grass that means that there's a saber-toothed tiger out there that's what saves our lives it's hardwired into us and we can't help it that slight off note is what we kind of key into i think um, and of course what we do is we train uh, quite intentionally for the fight and flight uh, reaction that all human beings have and and the way that obviously you 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 learn to cope for real is by uh, training as uh, as close to reality as you possibly can, again and again and again. And uh, spiritual disciplines are no different. Uh, I mean, it's all the same. Um, you know, people would say, "Well, you just say your prayers daily and use a good scripture union, uh, you know, Bible study." Um, I mean, the danger of talking about quantum and all this, and I'm very conscious that, that this happens to be my thing and perhaps Ian's, but it's not everybody's. Um, the person I would like to pay tribute to tonight in terms of legacy is my Auntie Grace, who I used to sit beside in church, um, in my dad's church um, in Glasgow all these years ago. And she was a, a woman of deep faith, but never spoke about it. Um, they sang very normal hymns out of CH2 and CH1. And she believed. And she lived a life that her name matched. She lived a very gracious life with very little money and raised um, good kids. So uh, I think the simplicity um, would be a rude thing to describe her faith. It was deep. And when that congregation um, in the east end of Glasgow sang the old rugged cross, uh, they, they meant it because they lived it. And um, you know, this is this is proper human living and faith, and and I will always be shaped by that experience. And um, you know, they were kind people, 
and they were good in their community, and they changed the community. So um, I think I would like to pay tribute to, to my auntie Grace, who wasn't my auntie at all. Mm. But do you know, the thing about that, though, is that that is, you know, human experience, you know, human experience, really, isn't it? You know, in being with, you know, being with people and, 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 and also, you know, understanding that faith. And that's where, you know, you're right about the, the whole kind of Western world thing. You know, stuff is just stuff. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, stuff is literally just stuff. Like, I've got a nice car, but do you know what? It's just a car. I mean, at the end of the day, and actually, do you know what? If it didn't have a car, then that would be fine too. It, it do you know, stuff is just stuff, mm. and I, th I think that this is what's been thrown at is because big money's wrapped up in that, you know, and and it, you know, it's the same in some of the pills that we peddle in a in a way. Do you know, they're they're in America. There's a cottage, well, not a cottage industry. There's a multinational multi-billion dollar industry in making up drugs for conditions that human beings have never suffered before but do you know what we'll make them up because we've got a drug that makes it better we think and the studies that we actually choose to publish we think you know that you know the there's the materialism i i feel is one of the ways in which the western world i think are looked on by something approaching horror from other parts of the world you know the non-western world you know, to look at us to see that God has no place in our thinking uh, must seem to them like the like kind of lumbering giants that have no idea where they're going. Exactly, there's an emptiness, and I think that's what we we in Sanctuary First are continually trying to do is to give people a space each day to pray, to read the scriptures, and to reflect and to think that all around the world. This week, people have been reading Scott's reflections and considering them and thinking about them. And that's the community of the saints that we're getting back to where we started off tonight, you know, about thinking of the people who have shaped our lives and the graces of this world. Yeah. And the, the, these were the, and, and at the end of the day, that's what will make a difference for our children and our children's children is as they see something of Christ, like the generosity, the love, the tenderness, the compassion, how we live. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that takes our blood pressure down too, when we start trusting and we start realizing that this is a God, all will be well. And maybe somebody's listening in tonight and you've been struggling with so many things. Maybe the one key thing you need to realize is that we're, we're not alone. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I, these are the most powerful words of comfort that I think anyone can pick up. And even in death, I will go with you. I will travel with you because death is not the end. There is more to all of this than we can ever imagine. It's such an amazing idea, living, isn't that life in all its fullness? Amazing. It's Amen. a beautiful thing. The way it just ripples out and touches everybody. It's. Uh, I, I've said before about patients that have the the so-called near-death experiences, and a commonality amongst these things, and I've read quite a lot about it. Is the uh, they almost always meet 
Jesus, a Christ-like figure, um, and they have what's called a life review. And they see how their life has maybe touched somebody else's life and how that touched somebody else's life. And it all just goes past them. And yeah, and then, you know, they head towards the light and then some of them are pulled back and all well, all of them are pulled back or they wouldn't be able to tell us about it. But <laughs> but do you know, but the the, the it, it, I, I do think that, that speaks to, to that whole there there is a power, Albert, I think, in as you've said, when you've got people all over the world reading the reflections on a daily basis and reading the scripture on a, on a daily basis, there's got to be power in that. Absolutely. And people praying together. And I think this is, and even listening to our podcast just now, if, if people can go from here, empowered something, but know that, that, that there is the presence of the Holy Spirit even now work in our lives, drawing us together and helping us to see that um, we're not alone. And this pandemic, we will get through it. We will get through it. We'll get through it. Absolutely no doubt at all we will get through it. But as, again, back to what, and we're going to finish with this, back to what Scott said, was we cannot be, it's not to be, um, we need to face reality. It's not going to be easy. You know, and, and, and I think that's, like uh, th these are the messages that Scott was giving us this week. Hang in there, journey with us. But being a Christian doesn't mean to say that trouble doesn't come to your door. It does come to your door but there's someone there who will journey with you to help carry the load. Hey guys, you know what? Six minutes past 10. What? <laughs> yeah, so Sunday, uh, James, you take it, we're into a new, a new area now on Sunday. We, we move our time Absolutely. on a Sunday for Sunday so Live. We are now going to be Sunday Live a little later. Uh, at 6.30 UK time, um, so around 45 minutes for the service. Um, uh, but it'll be the same link, same same place that you're going to, uh, but our Sunday lives will be in the evening now for the winter um, because we thought that would be better for people getting more out of daylight um, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, and I know that uh, some of our friends in California are quite happy about that too because it means that they're getting, they don't need to get up so early in the morning. <laughs> It should be a joy, Albert. It should be a joy. <laughs> um, so, but yes, uh, so we're um, looking forward to that. Good. And uh, anything else coming up this week that we should be talking about? Uh, I know that we're hoping to get, uh, you and I are hoping to get some of the the first new proofs of the app to have a look at and to, to muck about with this coming week. Absolutely. It's a new app coming soon. And... Uh, yeah, there's a few different things on the horizon, I think. Um, I think some more stuff coming out at the Secret Chord sessions over the next bit as well. Um, and uh, some more music. So, and, and exciting and plans for Christmas as well. Exciting plans. For, and we're still running our giving campaign. So if you think that's an area you can support Sanctuary First in, uh, you can go and find it on the site. And uh, if you can give something towards the work, uh, and do it on a regular basis, but small amounts makes all the difference. But if you can help, that would be great. Um, but regardless what you give, it's uh, your heart that's important. And that's what we're looking for. So until next week, when we're back again, 
And uh, who's our writer next week? Uh, some guy called James Cathcart. I don't, I don't oh, know if he's James any good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ian will get the red pen out. Ian will get it, man. <laughs> and then Scott you're on the following week again after Absolutely. that we'll then we've got Scott. So yeah. hopefully we'll have you back that Friday so you'll be back in a couple of weeks time to be part of the get a grilling Scott <laughs> <laughs> we none of this gentle stuff straight in no, no. Any of the theology <laughs> cool oh, dear. Well, well people have got beds to go man. to <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, people got beds to go to. So listen, and uh, thank you to Ray for sitting in with us tonight and uh, and, and keeping us uh, on air. So uh, so everyone else, thank you for listening, and we'll catch up with you next Friday at nine o'clock. Have a good weekend. Bye. Mm-hmm.